just tell you how my morning started this morning. It was, it was a, it's been a good morning this morning already. I, um, I, we actually, I went to, to Fagenbush campus. We go to the, the early preaching service, so I got about half of Kevin Smith. But as I was driving into church this morning with, uh, with my wife, I got a phone call from our, our adult minister. And uh, that's not the card. He called and, and he said, John, where are you? And I said, well, um, I'm on my way. We were running a little bit late this morning. He said, well, I've got a Syrian um, standing in, in our our." in the church, and, and I'd like for you to come and help me, because he doesn't speak any English, and uh, so I, I ended up racing to church at that point. I didn't break the speed limit much, um, so <laughs> I got to church as, as quickly as I, I could, and, and I met a man by the name of um, Shadi uh, Matakli, and uh, he'd actually come with uh, a Latino couple um, that live on the south end, and they had uh, met him. They, I said, well, how do you guys communicate? And he said, Google Translate. You know, you Google Translate. It's one of the greatest things in the world. You just type something in and you, you have a translate. And uh, he brought this guy to church with him. And I thought, man, you know, that's a good thing. That's a really, really good thing. And uh, so I was just able to, to meet him and, and, and just express love to him and tell him how glad I was that he was there and here in the United States and and tell him how glad I was that he was in our church and that he was to be welcome in our church and that, that uh, it was a pleasure to know him and just allow him to, to, to feel the love of the Lord in, that, in those moments. He then walked into worship, and that had to be quite an experience for him. Um, but uh, it, it, was, it was exciting. It was neat to see two things. One, that, that you know, in, in this day... Um, I'm sure over the news you saw the picture of the little boy, um, Island, um, who has, uh, was washed up on the beach um, dead as he was trying to, to escape from Syria and Turkey and, and cross some difficult waters. And um, Then to see the thousands of refugees as, as they're trying to get across Europe to places that they think are going to welcome them, but, but with that many refugees, it's so hard... Um, to see desperation. You know, I, we, are, we are so blessed to not know that desperation. Um, when we lived overseas, even when I lived overseas, we didn't have a go bag. And I, my guess is none of you have a go bag. That would be a bag that you have packed with your passport and cash and a couple changes of clothes so that at any moment you can grab it when the police come to arrest you and you can escape. Or when the war comes too close, you know, when Canada invades and uh, we're running from the Canadians because they're, they're taking over. And um, we, don't, we don't face that, do we? Um, a, a friend of mine, I, he's uh, two friends. They became believers this last year. Well, not this last year, a couple years ago. Got to baptize both of them. They're Iraqis, um, and uh, they're, they're both back in, in Iraq at the moment. And one of them, one of them came as a refugee, and, and and he's been able to go back and forth to try and settle just some life issues and some business issues. And so he's he's coming back. He'll be back the first of the well, middle of the month, around the twelfth. But a friend of his, he, he brought a friend. So so my friend became a believer and. The first thing he did is another friend of his 
had come, and so he starts bringing him to church right away. So this is a Muslim background believer starts bringing this other guy to church who's, who, who had had really an experience, a need to understand who Jesus is, and, and had gone to northern Iraq and bought, when he was in, when he was in Iraq, he, he went to northern Iraq where there's a number of Christians, and, and he had bought a statue of Mary and brought it home with him because he thought that was Christian. So, so he went and he bought a statue of Mary and brought it home and, and was trying to figure out how he prays to a woman. But um, anyway, he was struggling with all of that. And he, he came over... And we were able to share the gospel with him and see his life changed. But because he wasn't, uh, he wasn't, he didn't come as a refugee. He just came on a um, on a a tourist visa. He he went back. And uh, I just found out this week that he was he's part of that group that is trying to immigrate into Europe. And uh, you know, just a sense of desperation of getting on a boat that you paid thousands of dollars for that's really nothing more than a rubber dinghy and, and you're just hoping and praying that somehow you get across. It's, it's desperate. And we see that. We see that in our world, right? We, we see that um, when we watch the news. We see this desperation of, of people and, and, and we're pretty comfortable, right? I don't, I don't have a go bag. Um, I don't have... I don't have thousands of dollars of cash that I've stashed away in, in bills. Um, or, you know, I, I haven't gone out and bought euros just in case so that I have that European money just in case I have to escape somewhere. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't have that. But there's literally tens and thousands, millions of people across the world that, that are struggling and, and that, that, that have that because they don't have what we have. They don't have hope. They, they have hope of, of no form whatsoever. They have no hope for their future because of, of the world. But even more, they have no hope like we do and we find in Jesus Christ. And, uh, you know, we, we, we see that, that, that God is, is bringing nations. God is bringing people to us every single day. The Syrian, he'd, he'd been in the country for 10 days and... And in the coming weeks, as I, as I start to visit him, one of the things that I'll do with him is I'll, I'll share the story of Cornelius with him about how when Cornelius was praying, God sent an angel and said, hey, go find Peter because Peter has to tell you something. And, and so he found Peter and Peter came and, and he had something to tell him. He had something to tell him about hope. He had something to tell him about peace. He had something to tell him about Jesus Christ. And I'm going to share with him that I believe that that's why God brought him here because I, I believe that, that he needs to hear about the hope that we find in Jesus Christ. And so, so that's where we are this morning. This is where our world is, right? I know that college football started this week. Um, but even more than college football starting this weekend, which was an exciting thing, man, we, 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 we've seen the desperation of life as well this weekend. And uh, we see a world that is truly lost. You know? I mean, it's just truly lost. So open up your Bibles as, as we think about that to, to Jeremiah chapter 29. I, I want to share with you from here, and, and, and I know some of my students and, and all, they, they've heard me talk from this passage. I, I love this passage because as, as Jeremiah is writing, he is writing to, to Israel, and, and Israel is, is themselves, they're in a desperate situation. They, they, they have lost their hope. 
because they have been disobedient to God and, and they have stepped out of right relationship with God. And, and so God has brought them punishment. And, and that punishment is severe, right? They have been exiled into, into a, a, a difficult place, a, a difficult land, a, a dangerous place. And, and as they have been exiled to there, they, they are anxiously now awaiting as... As, as often all of us do, right? When, when God comes to us and, and He punishes us, or when we, re, when we receive punishment, we want it to end as quickly as possible, right? And, and so we look forward to the end. And, and Israel is there. They're thinking, okay, well, God has exiled us. He's destroyed Jerusalem. But now surely He's going to restore us as, as quickly as possible, right? And, and so they're waiting for that. And they've, they've had a false prophet that came and, and, and prophesied Hananiah and, uh, and said, yeah, yeah, everything's going to be good. And... and uh, Jeremiah, I mean, how would you, you know, being a prophet, it's not a good, it, it's kind of one of those dangerous things. You, you false prophesy and you're in trouble, right? Jeremiah comes to Hannah and I says, look, in the year you're going to be dead. And the passage says in a year he was dead. Um, don't, don't prophesy falsely is the lesson that we learned from that. And uh, so, so Jeremiah comes and he sends a letter to the exiles. And, and in this letter, he has so much to say to us as church today in... Uh, at the end of verse 1, it says, uh, Nebuchadnezzar... Well, the, let's read verse 1. It says, This is the text of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent to Jerusalem to the rest of the elders and the exiles, the priests and the prophets, and all the people Nebuchadnezzar had deported from Jerusalem to Babylon. Now, that's the way everybody saw things, right? They, they, they saw that Nebuchadnezzar had come in, and, and as was custom of the day, when a, a king would conquer, he would take the best... And he would take them out and then he would spread them throughout his land. And the very best of the best he'd take back to his capital. He'd take to Babylon. And, and you know that from the story of Daniel, right? He had Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He had Daniel. And these became great men of, of God. But he took them because they were special. There was something about their aptitude, something about their family background that they brought them there. But the rest of Israel was just spread out throughout the kingdom. And this is the way you conquered. When you conquered, you took the conquered people and you just spread them throughout the known world at that time. And that's exactly what Nebuchadnezzar had done. And so Israel is thinking, hey, Nebuchadnezzar has deported us from Jerusalem. And in, uh, in, in verse 4, the end of verse 4 is, as the letter starts, so if, if you look in your Bible, it says the letter stated, this is what the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, says to all the exiles, I deported from Jerusalem to Babylon. Now, now this, is, this is important here. Um, Jeremiah is writing, and, and the first thing he says, this is what the Lord of hosts, and if you look at your Bible, it, it's the, the Lord in all little caps, right? So this is the Yahweh. This is the, the personal name for God. And, and so he starts out and he says, listen, the personal name, this is, this is your God. This is your God who's done this. And then he says, the God of all of Israel. So, so the God who is over Israel says to all the exiles, I deported from Jerusalem to Babylon. Now that's in, in contrast to verse 1, which says that it was Nebuchadnezzar who deported them, right? But actually, it was God who deported them. God clearly states for the exiles here, listen, this wasn't something Nebuchadnezzar did or could do. This is something that I did. I have deported you to all of the world. I have spread you out into all of the world. Now, that's, that's kind of interesting. Well, why would God do that? Israel was to, to be a holy nation. They were to be a people, a light into the world. They were to be salt. You know, I love, I'm, I'm going through the, the, the Sermon on the Mount with my, 
my, my Sunday school class at, at our church, and, and, and I love that we just finished last week, we're talking about how we are to be the salt of the earth, and this week they're talking about how we're to be the light of the earth, and, and as Jesus is, is saying those words, he's saying it to Jerusalem context of people who understood that Israel was to be the light of the world, they were to be the salt of the nations, they were to be the ones that, 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 that shared the, the goodness of God as the people saw them as a holy nation devoted to God. They were to want that. But you remember Israel wasn't like that, were they? Instead, they were like everybody else. They turned their hearts towards the gods and and the kings of the people who were around them. And as a result of turning their hearts away from God, God sent them out to the nations. God sent them out to the nations. Now, as, as I see that, what I, what I stop and I realize is, is at this particular moment in world affairs, Nebuchadnezzar was the power, right? He, was, he really was a powerful king. I mean, you, you, you look at the, the, the gardens of Babylon, and, and uh, one of the fun things of having friends from, from, uh, from Iraq and and, uh, and all is, is they, they bring you things, right? And, and so um, one of my friends brought me this, this really cool plate um, from what was um, Babylon, right? He, he's from Baghdad, and so just south of Baghdad is the, the, the old city of what was Babylon. And, uh, you know, the, 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 the beauty, the amazing, the structures, the, the things that were in that, that amazing city. Nebuchadnezzar was the power of the day, right? But God uses the power of the day to bring about His will. God uses what, what is there to, to, to bring about His desires amongst the nations. And, you know, as, as, I, as I think about that, I, I look at us, and, and often we look at, at Nebuchadnezzar had deported um, from Jerusalem to Babylon, these, these people, and we see it with worldly eyes uh, according to what the news has to say, and, and we say, well, ISIS has done this, or, or Al-Qaeda has done this, or, or issues in the Middle East, or or around the world, you know, we, we, look at, we look at it from a manly point of view, a worldly point of view, but maybe God is saying to us, this is something that I'm doing. Maybe God is saying to us, this, this Syrian that I'm putting next door to you, I've placed there. Right? No, it's not an accident. It's not something that, that, that has just taken place. Maybe all of this disruption in the Middle East where, where, where you, you, you have Muslims killing Muslims, you have, you have Sunni Muslim ISIS members who are killing Shiite Muslims because they're completely different, but, but these ISIS um, Muslims are killing also other Sunni Muslims because they don't do things exactly like they do them, and they say you have to do it exactly like we do it. And the Islamic world is saying, whoa, wait a minute. Why, why are we killing each other? Right? We're, I thought we were Muslims. We live in the, the Dar al Salaam. That means we live in the house of peace. Doesn't look very peaceful, does it? I mean, you, you look at ISIS and, and, and the whole top of Syria and, and, uh, and Iraq and, and Turkey. Man, just you get into world events and all of a sudden you're saying, wait, this is Dar al Salaam. This is the house of peace. But there is no peace here, is there? This is a mess. And, and so we talk to our friends and we say, you know, What's going on? And uh, there is no peace. So, you know, maybe God is pricking hearts. We used to talk about, when I was young, we talked about, some of you remember this, we talked about the, the, the wall there with Russia and, 
the Iron Curtain. And, uh, man, it was amazing how that thing fell, wasn't it? I mean, I remember growing up in the, the 70s and, and into the 80s, early 80s, and seeing the movies. And, and you know, you, you, didn't, you didn't penetrate the Iron Curtain. And then within a couple of years, it's completely down, and, and uh, God is doing something. Well, we talk about the Islamic Curtain today and, and how impenetrable it is, but perhaps God is doing something. Perhaps God is opening the door. Perhaps it's not Nebuchadnezzar. Perhaps it's God. And so, so God says to, to, to Israel, He says, I, the, the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, say to the exiles that I deported from Jerusalem to Babylon. Now listen to me, God says, because I'm the one who did this. And so we look at as, our, as we look at our world today, we need to understand that, that God is, is the sovereign God. Uh, the nations aren't sovereign. The, the world in its humanity isn't sovereign, but God is sovereign. And God can take whatever is going on on the face of the earth and He can use it to His glory. When I first met uh, my, my Iraqi friend, um, Zaidun, he, he, uh, he had written and, and done a number of things. I, I may have told you this story before. Some of you have heard this story, but, but he, was, he was seeking... He was seeking the Lord. He knew that, that, that the God of Islam wasn't the God of creation. He knew he wasn't God. And he'd gone through a whole bunch of things to try and, and, and find somebody to tell him about God. He'd, he'd, in fact, when, when he had been in Jordan, um, the, the, the Muslims had, had preparing him to go to the state, said, listen, Christians will come to your door, and when they come to your door, ignore everything that they have to say, but take whatever it is that they give to you, because they're going to give you stuff, because they do that. You know, those Christians, they, they give you stuff. They, they try and take care of you. But don't listen to what they had to say. And he was so excited, because he thought, man, Christians are going to come knock on my door. This is awesome, because that's what I want to know about. I want to know about these Christians. So he came to Louisville, Kentucky, and sat for six months, right, waiting for a Christian to come knock on his door. And no Christian came and knocked on his door, you know. And uh, he was a little flustered by that. Um, one day he finds a piece of trash on the ground, and, and it's an invitation to get a free Bible. So he writes away for the Bible. Um, it's a nice ESV Bible. And he showed it to me. It's, it's one of those thick ESV Bibles, leather-bound. It's like an awesome Bible. But it's in English. He couldn't read it. And, and he's saying, God, you know, I mean, I don't know what you're doing to me here, but I, I could use some help. And... A God who, who is amazingly sovereign, the, he, he wrote a letter and, and it, just, it just happened to go to a girl who was the cousin, a very close cousin, of the Latino pastor in our church in Louisville, Kentucky, where he lives. And so she calls her cousin, which she does on a normal basis, and says, hey, I got this guy. Do you guys think you could reach out to him? So I get a phone call, and I go and reach out to him. And he's one of those fun stories because he's just prime. He's ready. He just wants to know Jesus. And within six months, he's begging me to be baptized because he wants Jesus. Now, I don't know about you, but I cannot believe that God didn't put him here on purpose. I cannot believe that, that it was by accident that the cousin of my um, Latino pastor friend's wife is living in Wheaton, Illinois, working with the ESV group up there. I mean, I just can't believe that that was an accident. 
God is indeed sovereign, and, and we've got to remember that. God is in control. And so, so when people come into our lives that are different from us, we need to understand that God has brought them there. It's not an accident. It's not something that just is, is circumstance. It's, it's God. So God says to Israel, look, I put you here. Now, let's, let's get about the business. And so God tells them what to do. In verse 5, it says, build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. And take wives for your sons. And give your, your daughters to men in marriage so that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there. Do not decrease. So, so God comes to Israel and, and, and God says, listen, I have placed you all over the world. And Israel's saying, but we want to go back to Jerusalem. And God has said, well, I don't want you in Jerusalem. I want you in the world. And while you're in the world, you need to take wives. You need to have kids. You need to take wives for your kids. You need to increase. You don't need to decrease. In other words, you need to be about the business of life. You need to be about the business of doing the things of God. Well, as I read that text, I think, I think a couple of things. The, the first thing I think about is the fact that, you know, as, as, as beings, as, as humans, as, as believers, we are to live out our life in the world. We have not been called to be Christians in this sanctuary. We have been called to be Christians in the world, everywhere that we are. So tomorrow morning, when you go to work, God has placed you in that place to be light and to be salt. He didn't put you there because He wanted you to live like everybody else. He put you there because He wants you to be different. He wants you to be salt. He wants you to be light. He wants people to see His reflection of Himself in you. That's why God puts you there. Now listen, I know since the fall works a pain. All of us dread Sunday night, don't we? Well, I don't because I get to teach guys like this on Tuesday morning. But um, <clears throat> I know. But listen, God's placed you there. Take joy in the fact that maybe you're the only believer in that workplace. And you get to be the reflection of Jesus to all those lost people. Oh, man, what an honor that is. What a glory that is. When you go to work in the morning, you get to be the reflection of Jesus to those lost folks, man, who are dying and hurting and living without hope. Just this, this last month, I, there were two funerals I went to. Actually, all in the same week. I don't go to very many funerals, thank the Lord. I don't like to go to funerals. But I went to a few, two funerals. And first funeral I went to was a funeral in which the, the guy had gotten saved just, you know, just before he died. I mean, it was a glorious thing. But, man, his family was a mess. None of them were believers. They, they didn't have hope. They were lost. Man, it just it broke my heart. So the pastor, the, it was actually the brother of, of the, the guy who died who preached the sermon. He was you know, a good old country preacher, man. He, it, was, it was a lot of fun. You know those good old country preachers just lay right out, right? And uh, he laid it out. And he said, listen, you, you guys need to get saved. You need Jesus in your lives because you're a mess. I mean, it was kind of one of those sermons, right? I mean, but it was coming from the family. At first I thought, wow, that's kind of bold. Then I realized, oh, it, it was the uncle. So I guess you can do that. But... Uh, Man, he laid it out because, see, they had no hope. Second funeral I went to was an old believer, an old saint. 
all of his kids are followers of Jesus and his grandkids are followers of Jesus. And man, it was just a glorious time because there was hope. See, when you go into that workplace on Monday, a lot of the friends that you're with, a lot of the people that you're with, man, they've got no hope. And you're called to be salt and light in that place. But, but the second thing is, is as the Israel went as exiles, so we go sometimes as, Israel, as exiles. We, we go and we live amongst the people. I think one of the hardest things that I saw in the last couple of weeks is the fact that, that due to the fact that financially the IMB is so behind, we're lowering our, we're, we're, we're seeking early retirement of, of six to 800 missionaries. Well, early retirement means that, that we're taking off the field our guys with 20, 30 years experience, the ones who are best in language, best in culture, best in understanding. But, but David Platt, Dr. Platt is, is saying, but we have to do something. You see, when, when we go and we live, so, so when my wife and I went overseas, we went, we built, we, we didn't actually build a house, but, but we built a house. My, we took my ki- our kids. We, we didn't leave them here. We took our kids. My, my youngest was one, or my oldest was one and a half, and we adopted our second. He was three when he went overseas, and, and they grew up there. We, we lived in our house. People got to know us. They knew who we were, and, and they knew what we did, and they knew we followed Jesus, and we were light and salt in that place. And, and, and we, we need to think about the world. See, Israel only thought about itself. And, and sometimes when we get so caught up in ourselves that we forget that there is a world out there that needs Jesus. And so we send as well. So, so we live and then we send. And as church here in America, we have been blessed financially to just this, this extreme end. You know, worldwide, we're the two percent, right? You know, we talk about the one, the two percent here in the United States, and most of us aren't in that category, but worldwide we are. God has blessed us so abundantly, and He calls us to to share in in that blessing with the world that is around us. So He says, multiply there, don't decrease. Seek the welfare of the city. He says in verse seven that I've deported you to. Pray to the Lord on its behalf, for when it has prosperity, you will prosper. Now, what's interesting here, and, and, and I'm reading from the Holman Christian Standard Bible, the Sanctified Southern Baptist Version. Um, some of you are reading from the ESV, the extra spiritual version, I know. But um, So in mine, in verse 7, it says, Seek the welfare. The word welfare there, and then it talks about prosperity. That, that, that word there is, is actually the Hebrew word for shalom in both cases. So it's translated for us to help us understand the depth of the word shalom as welfare and then the word prosperity. But it's, it's, it's actually saying seek the shalom of the city. For when, when you pray to the Lord's on behalf or when it has shalom, then you'll have shalom is what it's saying. Well, shalom, what, what is shalom? Well, shalom is, is very simply peace, but it's, it's talking about peace with God. You see, you, you don't... You don't, you don't the city doesn't have welfare, it doesn't, it doesn't have shalom, it doesn't have peace, it doesn't have prosperity until it knows God. Now, that doesn't mean it's not rich. It doesn't mean that it doesn't have a lot of finances. Man, Iraq has a ton of money. Syria had a ton of money. All of those, that, that whole region is just enormously wealthy. But look at it. 
it doesn't have shalom. It doesn't have real prosperity because that's only found in God. It's only found in the peace of God. And so whenever you read about shalom in the Bible, understand that that the first place to understand shalom is to understand right relationship with God. Because when there's right relationship with God, then there's right relationship with others who are around us. And so, so God says, seek the shalom of the city. Pray to the Lord on its behalf. For when it has shalom, then you'll have shalom. Yeah, it's powerful. To seek the shalom of your coworker. Seek the shalom of those who are out in the world. Seek the shalom of, of the refugee that comes into our world. Seek the shalom of those who are lost and dying far from us. Seek their shalom. Seek that they have peace with God. That's our calling. This is what God placed us here for. Seek the shalom and pray to the Lord on its behalf. So, so it's interesting. You look at this passage and you understand the exile. Flip over with me to Acts chapter 2 real quick. Because, you know, a lot of times we get all over the Jews and, and uh, yeah, they, you know, they, they got put into exile and, and whatnot. But God, man, God is so cool. God, God is so amazing, so sovereign. On the day of Pentecost, right, one of those celebrations when, when God fears and Israelites, Jews were supposed to come in and, and they were supposed to celebrate in Jerusalem, Right? And so on that day, God has had his church. And on the day of Pentecost, you remember, he sends down the, the tongues of fire and, and the, 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 the followers of, of Jesus go out. But in verse 5, it says, Now there were Jews living in Jerusalem. There were devout men from every nation under heaven. Well, where in the world did they come from? They came from the exile. You see, a lot of Jews, they started to seek the shalom of the city. And so as a result of that, when they came together for Pentecost, in verse, in verse 8, it says, How is it that each of us can hear in our own native language? And Luke goes, Parthians, Medes, Alamites, those who live in Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, parts of Liberia, um, or Libya, near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes. Where did the proselytes come from? They came from Jeremiah 29. Because Israel was living out the shalom of God while they were in exile. And so now they bring them all back together. And you see this, this movement of God, right? As, as they hear God speak in their language. See, they thought, they thought God was the God of Israel, but now all of a sudden they discover that God is their God. And they experience God for the first time in a way that they never could have imagined. And Peter preaches that they need Jesus because that's where true shalom is found. And 3,000 people are converted that day. Later, 5,000. And the end of, of chapter 2, man, every day people were coming to faith, right? Every day. The Lord added to their number every day those who were being saved. The end of chapter 2. God's called us to, to seek the shalom of the city. And... Everywhere we go, we are to seek that shalom. We are to, to be shalom makers. And in Matthew chapter 5, as, as Jesus is, is going through the Beatitudes, he said, blessed are the peacemakers. I was telling my classes that when I was a kid, man, that meant that, 
that I was the middle child and the oldest male, right? So dad would always say, now, John, blessed are the peacemakers. You've got to make peace with your brother and sister. And I was like, well, I don't want to make peace with my brother and sister. I want to slap them upside the head. And he'd say, no, you're the peacemaker. And so I thought it was about just making peace, but actually it's about making shalom. See, God has called us to be shalom makers. Both here, where we are in Fisherville, Louisville, Kentucky, and Kentucky in the United States, and abroad to the ends of the earth. Because you see, we have shalom. We have peace with God. And how can we not share that peace with a world without it? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, we are so richly blessed.